As I said earlier, it's really great to see you all this evening, and I hope that uh, you're, you're wide awake and you're ready to, to receive God's Word and the thoughts that are on, on my heart tonight. It's not a study of a passage as such this evening, it's just a number of thoughts around uh, to, to expand a little bit on what we were thinking about this morning, and I hope that we all find it helpful. This morning, of course, in case you weren't out, we were thinking about how Jesus was a great people person. He was a great people person, and one of the ways in which he showed his great people skills was how he valued the importance of one. He valued the importance of one, of individuals. And we thought about that, that really powerful message um, around how we are to be the aroma of Christ among those who are perishing and among those who are being saved. And the challenge that hopefully will inspire every single one of us to action was that we could be the aroma of Christ to one person. Jesus is our ultimate example, amen? He is our ultimate example and he is the one that we follow. And when we look at his example, we see how he treated individuals. He valued them, he loved them, he reached out to them and he impacted them. And when we talk about reaching one person, we're not trying to limit our ministries in any way because as we thought this morning, by reaching one, we can change a nation. If every one of us catches this in our hearts and we leave here to go and influence, yes, all that we encounter, but specifically influence one person, boys, a day, that would be the start of community transformation and we could see the revolution that we long for in, in this church. Sometimes when we think of revival, we're praying and we're praying and we're praying for revival to be poured out upon us. Sometimes it feels to me like God's just wanting to move. He's just wanting us to make ourselves available and he's wanting to pour out his spirit upon us. So that's why we preach God's word. That's why we uphold the word of God in this place because we want every one of us to be brought to a place of response where we go out and we go to influence that one person for his glory. But of course, there are lots of examples from the life of Jesus that we can think about in terms of being effective and how we reach that one person that we're burdened for. And I want to think through a number of those tonight. So if you're taking notes, you might be able to just jot them down and meditate on them whenever you get home. Uh, because, and again, all of these surround just the brilliant people skills that Jesus had. And as we were saying this morning, and I want to continue to repeat this one until you're sick of me hearing it, really Relationship is at the heart of effective evangelism because that is fundamentally important. If we are to win this, does anybody here want to win Dundonald for Jesus? Okay, three of you do. Does anyone want to win Ireland for Jesus? Well, we can do this. We can do this in the power and in the strength and anointing of God if we start to take the word of God seriously and find that one, that relationship is at the heart of effective evangelism. We need to get out of our Christian cliques and start to engage with those who are outside of the kingdom. So let me just share a few thoughts about how Jesus was a great people person, how he influenced folks, and I hope you find this interesting. The first point is this. Jesus was a great people person because he was full of compassion. He was full of compassion. I, I touched slightly on the theme of compassion a few weeks ago when we were thinking about the, the, the lady who was brought before Jesus uh, who had been caught in adultery. But I want to give a few more thoughts on it now. 
Jesus was a great people person because he was full of compassion. How many times do we turn to the scriptures and read things like Matthew 9, verse 36? When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion upon them. Luke 17, verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he was full of compassion for her. Luke 19, verse 41, when Jesus drew near and saw Jerusalem, he wept over it. What an incredible person Jesus was. And he was full of compassion. For those taking notes, the Greek noun for compassion, it sounds a bit more like a German word. It's splagschnon. And if you're to, if you're to spell it phonetically, it's, it goes like this. S-P-L-A-G. C-H-N-O-N. And the Greek noun for compassion literally means bowels. It means bowels, which doesn't sound terribly good until we understand that in those days, the bowels were seen as the seat of love and pity. The bowels were seen as the seat of love and pity. Actually, the Greek verb sympatheo, S-U-M-P-A-T-H-E-O, where we get the word sympathy from, literally means to have compassion, to have compassion. So in the context of reaching our one, compassion is this. It's to be moved in here with love and pity sympathizing with that person who is outside of Christ. That's compassion. To be moved in here with love and pity, sympathizing with that person who is outside of Christ. And of course, Christ's compassion, it was much more than just mere emotion. Compassion is not passive. It results in action. And that, of course, was clearly demonstrated for us on the cross and a few weeks ago, I shared with you this thought. I want to repeat it because I think it's worthy of a repeat and important. How many times have you prayed for more compassion for the lost? If you're like me, you'll have prayed for it loads of times. And I've prayed for so many times and seen no difference in my life because I had to learn a very important spiritual lesson and I'm still learning it. And it's this. Compassion for the lost does not come from a prayer meeting. It comes when we're with the people we pray for. It doesn't come from a prayer meeting. It comes when we're with the people we pray for. Because when we look into people's eyes and we see lostness, we see deadness, we see brokenness, we see pain, we see apathy, we see indifference towards God, that can only but rise something up in us that wants to do something about it. And that's something is compassion. And the problem for many Christians is we're praying for compassion for the lost, but at the same time, we're not engaging with the people we need to reach. That's a key to finding more compassion in our lives. Engage with those we're burdened for. Now, I'm saying that the heart of our strategy is that we intentionally reach one, but there will be times as a church when we want to do projects in the community, when we want to start the wrap doors and do a community survey. And I'm encouraging every one of us to get involved with those projects, but those projects come with a health warning or they come with a warning. And the warning is this, if you get involved with them, be prepared for a burdened heart. 
Be prepared for a burdened heart, which is what we want, because when we see people and we look in their eyes and we see their lostness, it rises up something in us to want to do something about it. Jesus was continually full of compassion because outside those times of solitude and sleep, he was continually with lost people. We need more compassion. Secondly, Jesus was a great people person because he communicated to people in a way that they understood. He was a great people person because he communicated to them in a way that was understood. Jesus employed the the methods that rabbis used. He told stories. He told stories, parables. Rabbis taught that, that parables were like handles on the truth. A handle makes something easier to carry. And they told parables because it helped people carry the truth with them and go and live it out. And Jesus, of course, being the master communicator that he was, employed and taught from the methodology people were used to. He told stories. And stories are great. They're memorable. And that's why they stir the emotions. And that's why 2,000 years later, Christ's stories are still remembered because he was a master storyteller. As a communicator, I would love to be better at telling stories, but it always amazes me how when a, a, a crowd will rise to a good story and then lose interest soon after it's finished. And because of this, I realize that one of the best evangelistic weapons that you have and that I have is our story, our testimony, the story of what God has done and is doing in our lives. John Wimber, the great John Wimber used to say this, tell your story and tell it often. I wonder, could we pray tonight for that person we're burdened for? God, will you give me an opportunity sometime to tell them my story, your story of what you're doing in my life? Because stories are powerful. And when Jesus told stories, he communicated in a language that people could understand. Jesus spoke not in classical Greek, He spoke in Aramaic, which if you think about it, was almost like the street language of that day. He didn't speak in a highfalutin language that just went over the top of people's heads. And I'll tell you something else he didn't feel that he needed to do. every time. He didn't feel every time he got a platform that he needed to take 25 minutes like I will tonight to try and get over a few points. Sometimes for, with Christ, it was just a sentence that broke somebody's life. And I want to tell you this, never underestimate the power of a sentence. Never underestimate the power of a sentence and how God can use that. Derek Bingham was, was one of my mentors whenever he was alive and he was a wonderful, wonderful man of God. And when I saw him praying before so many of the big occasions that he preached on, he always prayed, God, give me five anointed words. Five anointed words because he realized that five of God's anointed words spoken through him were much best, better than 50,000 of his most eloquent words. Because it's God's words that matter. Never underestimate the power of a sentence. And also in Jesus' communication, he was not afraid to ask people questions. And I think this is something we need to get better at with those people that we love. That we ask questions and find out where people are at in their journey with God. And understand where they are at 
with him. So Jesus understood, and he, uh, I spoke to people in a language that they could understand too. Do you know what really grates me, actually? It grates me that in many strands of Christianity, we cannot explain the gospel in simple terms. We have a Christian language that we are so used to, and the ignorance to believe that people actually understand what we're talking about. They don't. They don't. People do not understand our language. I don't get computers. I'm not very technically minded. And if I'm sitting with, with say, three, three, three of us are talking, you guys are computer experts, you will lose me within about 30 seconds when you start to talk in your technological language because, it, because I don't get it. I don't understand it. And people don't understand our Christian language. And it does grate me when I think we can't explain the gospel in simple terms. Jesus was a master communicator. He was a great people person because he communicated in a language people understood. Thirdly, Jesus was a great people person because he was not judgmental. Please hear this one because it's really, really important. He was not judgmental. Now, he did not hold back his message. He certainly did not hold back his message. In fact, often he spoke to people in a way that would make you think he was nearly putting them off. Go you and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He didn't hold back, and that's a challenge to us all. But I don't think Jesus ever came across as being a judgmental person. I really don't believe that. He spoke about sin, but he did it in a particular way that meant he did not come across as judgmental, sadly in the way that many in the church do today. Why, why actually was that? Why did Jesus not come across as judgmental? I think he spoke about sin in a way that showed he understood why people sinned. I think Jesus spoke about sin in a way that showed he understood why people sinned. Because at the heart of sin, at the heart of sin is really people searching for something but just looking for it in the wrong places. At the heart of sin is people just really looking for something, but looking for it in the wrong places. Look at the story of the lady at the well when Jesus met her there. Don't forget that lady came to the well at the hottest part of the day. Why? Because she thought nobody else is going to be there because she didn't want to speak with anyone or, 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 or meet anyone. However, after encountering Jesus, her life was transformed why? Well, Jesus asked her a question. Importance of questions. Will you give me a drink? Later he says, go and call your husband. Now, I don't think Jesus prompted questions about her husbands or her partners to make her feel guilty in any way. I think Jesus did this because he understood here is a precious lady and she's really searching for something in her life, but she's just searching in all the wrong places. She wants love. She wants acceptance, but she's searching in the wrong places for it. And what an encounter she had when she had lost all her options or thought she had lost all her options. She met the one who could help her. 
Of course, one of the fundamental needs we all have as people is to be accepted and loved, but we're often looking for it in the wrong places. That God-shaped hole that's within all of us that we're born with that C.S. Lewis spoke about. We need to understand, not judge people, but understand that what sin does is it pushes people to try and fill that hole in their lives and fill it with things that just leave them feeling emptier. That's what sin does. It drives us away from where we should be to find things that just leave us feeling emptier. People are looking for something, folks, because they're lost. And the people are persons that you're burdened for. What do they need to do? They need to encounter Jesus at the well through you. They need to encounter Jesus at the well through you and his non-judgmental message of acceptance and love. mentioned this morning how we think about lostness and to be considered lost is to be considered of value. Remember speaking to Paul Reed, the, the, the previous pastor at CFC recently, and he was saying to me, we we're talking about lostness and things like that. And he was talking about the Jesus and the story of the lost sheep. And he said something really interesting. He said, he said that sheep did not get lost on purpose. In fact, it probably didn't even know it was lost. It just made a miscalculation. I thought that's really perceptive because we're all lost because of sin and born lost. Many don't know they're lost spiritually and they just miscalculate and they continue to miscalculate in their lives and make decisions that take them further away from the one who has the answer. I don't think Jesus ever came across to people as being judgmental. He spoke to them in a way that showed he understood why they're lost. And one of the saddest things for me is that when people think of the church or they think of Christianity, the words that come to their mind first are judgmental people. How could we ever judge anyone? We should be far too aware of our own junk to point the finger at anyone. We need to be more like our Savior. We need to be more like Jesus and reach out to that one person or those people we're burdened for and value them, understand their lostness. And without that judgmentalism, point them to the one who can fill that hole and that stuff they're looking for in their lives. Here's a lovely wee quote for you. Break this one down, you're taking notes. We need to learn to connect before we correct. We need to connect before we correct. And that's so important because far too often we're standing at the sidelines with our placards and we've no relationships with people and we're telling them what dirty, rotten, filthy sinners they are. We need to connect before we correct. And fourthly, Jesus was a great people person because he was prepared to be inconvenienced. He was prepared to be inconvenience. And this is, again, a really important point, particularly if we're serious about reaching that one person for Jesus. Too many people, Christians, are not prepared to step up and step out of their comfort zone to reach those people because they're comfortable and they don't want to be inconvenienced. Can I just say this? If there's a genuine desire in all of our hearts to be more like Jesus we will need to embrace inconvenience. If there's a genuine desire in all of our hearts to be more like Jesus, we will need to embrace 
inconvenience, and there's no doubt about that. Jesus sacrificed everything for you and for me. Title, rank, privileges, comfort, security, power, and ultimately his life. Philippians 2 verse 7 says, He emptied himself for us. How many times do we read about Jesus being inconvenienced because of his love and value for people? Matthew 14, that's the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. But often we forget the context of that story. The context of that story is this. Jesus had just heard about John the Baptist being beheaded. And what the Bible tells us is that he withdrew to a quiet place, obviously to reflect and then to mourn. But then a huge crowd appears. A huge crowd of people appear hungry. What did Jesus do? Did he ignore them? Did he politely explain the circumstances and send them away? No, he was prepared to be inconvenienced and he reached out to them with hope. The woman at the well. (laughs) What happened when that woman went back and told the people in her community, come see a man in John chapter four? It says they urged Jesus to stay. What did Jesus do? Did he start to make excuses about how he couldn't stay? Did he start to worry about his next assignment or all these other people that need to be reached? No, he was prepared to be inconvenienced. He stayed two more nights and the Bible says many believed. When Jesus was dying on a cross, the thief who was beside him was looking for hope. And what did Jesus do in his most difficult hour? What did he do? Did he just wallow in his pain and ignore the man? No, he was prepared to be inconvenienced and he reaches out to this man with hope and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus came to Peter and Andrew who were busy men and he said, follow me. At once the Bible says they left their nets and followed him. They were prepared to be inconvenienced. The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 15 talks about being spent, being spent for the people. Now, hear me right because we cannot drop everything every time people ask something of us and we shouldn't be overcommitting to the point of exhaustion or burnout but there's a big point here Jesus says take up your cross and follow me and we were thinking the other week about what that means and now that means commitment to him and if we want to do this authentically if we want to be those authentic Christians we need to be prepared to give up everything and be inconvenienced in the way we step up and step out to influence people outside of the kingdom. We long for every one of us in this church, every one of us, to be inconvenienced in the way we seek to reach out to people. I really believe this, that being a people person is one of the most important aspects of evangelism. Jesus, we've thought today, the master communicator, because he was genuine in how he valued people. He valued the importance of one. He was full of compassion. He was understood. He was not judgmental. And he was prepared to be inconvenienced. Folks, we need to be connecting with lost people. We need to step up and be part of what we're wanting to do in this church. Every single one of us, relationship is at the heart of the gospel. And this will cost us. It will cost us time. It will cost us our energy. It will cost us even financial answers if we want to do it but it's a cost worth counting 
Many people need us to build a relationship with them because do you know what? There are many people out there and what they need is an Emmaus road experience rather than a Damascus road experience. There's a lot of people and they need an Emmaus road experience rather than a Damascus road experience. Why? Because they need to go on a journey. They need to go on a journey. They don't want or need the lightning bolt. Now that does happen and God can save people instantly, but most people need to journey. They need to journey. And that's why we love Alpha in this church, because it is so helpful and it gives people time to ask questions, to deal with the assumptions and the the assumptions that they've made in their minds about who they are and who God is. It gives people time to journey. But please hear me, your your relationship and my relationship with people at Alpha should not be just an alpha. The main relationship we have in people is on that Emmaus journey and when we are continuing to journey with them and building relationships with people outside of the kingdom. Do you know what? The worship team's going to come up and join me here and we're going to go into our final set of worship. But just as I close these thoughts, and I hope we find some, or if not all of that, helpful, I want to just share a little, another couple of little thoughts with you to help encourage us as we step out. Uh, we're talking about Jesus valuing individuals, folks, and how he valued the importance of one. I really hope we can respond to this today. And here's a few thoughts about how God values you and how important you are to him so that we can hopefully go out and respond to this. Let's all stand together. And just as the guys is playing in the background, I, I just want to share a, a few thoughts and just close your ma- eyes and just focus in on, on, on this absolute truth because we want you to know tonight that you're loved and you're precious to God and valued. How do I know that you, and I'm going to use the word you so you can personalize this to yourself. How do I know that you are valuable to God? Well, what is the value of anything? Essentially, the value of anything is what someone is prepared to pay for it. The value of anything is what someone's prepared to pay for it. We might think our house is worth so much, but it's only worth what someone's prepared to pay for it. We might think our car is worth so, so much, but it's only worth what someone is prepared to pay for it. What is the value of your life to God? Well, the value of your life to God is seen in what he was prepared to pay for it. And he paid everything for you at the cross because he loves you and you're precious to him. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white, white as snow. The cross and the empty tomb show you again tonight how your life is of value to God because he was prepared to pay everything for you. Just one more thought before we worship our wonderful God. Because God values you and owns you, that actually makes you even more valuable. You see, the owner of something can add value to it. There's two pairs of football boots for sale. And one of them belongs to Philip Kerr. 
when he was playing for the 113th Old Boys when they were nearly relegated from the 5th Division of the Old Boys League. And the other pair of football boots belongs to Jeff Hurst. And they were the boots that he wore when he scored that final goal in the World Cup final in 1966. There's one pair of boots that are going to be much more valuable than the other because the owner of something adds value to it. The owner of something can add value to it. You are infinitely valuable tonight because you're owned by God. You are infinitely valuable tonight because the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords owns you. You are His. In fact, what the Bible calls you is His treasured possession. His treasured possession. I'm saying these things because as a leadership team, we desperately want to go on a journey of impacting Dundonald, impacting Ireland with you. We want to do this together, a team effort. So as we finish tonight, as we finish this day in the Lord's house, the inspiration to go and be more like Jesus is Jesus. (laughs) The inspiration to be more like Jesus is Jesus. And how we know we're valuable to him because he was prepared to pay it all for us. And how because he owns us now, that makes us priceless. Let the power and the truth of who you are and God inspire us to go. Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all, my all. Folks, let's go prayerfully and reach one person for Jesus. Let's be in this for the long term and let's follow his example as we've been thinking about this day. And may God add his blessing to these thoughts around his word and move us to action.